Hey friends, this summer we wanted to do something really special and give you a behind-the-scenes look at some of our classic episodes. But before we do that, we have a quick announcement. We're planning a conference called Gather that will be this September 15th and 16th in Provo, Utah. And the event is being put on by a coalition of people that exist in the LGBTQI saint space. Yeah, it's going to be Christ-centered and church-positive, and it will also be really expansive, including people on a variety of paths. So some of the speakers we have planned are Steve Young, Tom Christopherson, Liv Mendoza-Haynes, Megan Decker, Jesse Wilson, Michael Soto, Allison Dayton, Ben Shalati, What? And Charlie Bird. <laughs> it's going to be great. And you can get more details at gather-conference.com and come and gather with us this September. And hope you enjoy these classic episodes. So today we're talking about season one, episode 15, How Can We Stop LGBTQ Plus Suicide? With Taryn Hyatt. With Taryn Hyatt. I forget to say that. <laughs> but she was our guest and she was great. Yeah, she was really good. I remember as we were recording that, the whole time I was just like, this woman is so impressive mm-hmm. and she's so smart. And she was able to package this really taboo and delicate topic in a way that was like approachable. Yeah. And it's such an overwhelming concept. But I feel like she gave me and hopefully other listeners just really practical advice on how to deal with this real problem. Yeah. One thing she said that really hit me as I was re-listening to it was she said, talk saves lives. Yeah. Like we can provide places for people to talk and share that saves lives. And she also says that, um, you know, if someone dies by suicide, you know, even if we try our very best, there are like we can't force anyone to do anything or not do anything. Yeah. But we can be there for people. Right. And, and I think. One of the misconceptions about suicide is that by bringing it up, it'll like inspire it, mm-hmm. but it actually research shows it's the opposite. And the more people are able to talk about their feelings, um, the more they're able to kind of like root in reality of your life is valuable yeah, and you're loved. Definitely. So fun fact about this episode, it was originally called something else. It was originally called, what do I do if I wish I was dead? Mm-hmm. What if like I that? wish I were dead? Yeah, what if I wish I were dead? Yeah. Um, and that question is still at the beginning of the episode. We just changed it so that people would understand that it was about suicide um, and suicide prevention. Um, and that was a question, you know, of, uh, something like that question was, was submitted to us. Yeah. And that's why we decided to address the topic. Well, and I think just listening to it again, it's just a reminder of how real this is and how common it is Mm -hmm. and now as a therapist a lot i'll say this is a really common experience to my clients who talk about suicidal ideation i'll say it's not it's not normal It, it you know this isn't a normal place to be so i'm so glad you're here working on it and talking about it openly but this is really common and a lot of people have a lot of shame with these feelings Mm -hmm. and just bringing it into the light you know sunlight's the best disinfectant and it just Taryn did such a good job at giving people practical ways to make this overwhelming topic approachable. Yeah. And re-listening to it, I appreciate that, you know, you and I, we both shared our own experiences where we, you know, at least I was never actively suicidal, but there were still times where I wished I could just die. And she did a good job of, of elucidating that, you know, people don't want to die. They just want their pain to end. Right. And I just wanted a way out of the, like the, this tough impossible feeling situation that I was in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic episode and we hope you really enjoy listening and and gaining Taryn's insight. Welcome to questions from the closet. I'm Charlie bird and I'm Ben Shalati. Each episode we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Larity saints. We are not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, 
What do I do if I wish I were dead? Charlie and I are not terribly diverse and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, both of us love to read. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben never reads a book more than once and I tend to read all my favorites over and over again. I mean, I feel like if you read the story once, you kind of get it. Uh, no, I like to study. Sometimes I get like a highlighter and we'll like, I'm a nerd. I think the only book I've read like non-scriptures more than once, I've read Ender's Game twice and the seventh Harry Potter book twice. I read The Alchemist basically every year. It grounds me. It's, it's my favorite book. <laughs> what is that even about? Um, it's about a journey. Oh. Yeah, it's really nice. Like a journey in the Middle East. I read To Kill a Mockingbird pretty frequently as well. It's a very good one. Yeah. And I could quote the whole story for you because I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives on our show. So today we're joined by Taryn Hyatt. Taryn, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Taryn Hyatt, and I serve currently as the area director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in the state of Utah, and I also oversee Nevada. What else would you like to know? Well, Everything I just, and anything? I feel like we're so lucky to have you here because you are such an important person, such an oh. important voice in this space. No, I appreciate that. You know, suicide is something that touched my life really early on and, and just became a, a cause that I knew I, I needed to invest in, and so this has kind of been been my life's mission for longer than I, I had thought or, or planned that it would be. All right. Well, can you tell us how you got into this space, if you don't Absolutely. mind being personal? Absolutely. No, not at all. Um, you know, as I mentioned, suicide touched my life very personally, both um, in my own experience, and then and then I lost somebody very special to me to suicide. So I would, I would say that I've known of the S word, and, and that has been a, a common theme in my life since I was around eight. Um, but it was really when my, my father took his life back in 2002 when, when I knew that there was more I needed to understand and do. Um, his death occurred on a conference weekend. I, I grew up LDS, um, and it was, it was just devastating. And I remember our family just really grappling with what do we do, what do we say, right? What do we tell people? And, and I just knew that we, we had to tell the truth. We, we were going to be honest about what happened. Um, so there was part of you that wanted to not tell people what had I happened. I think a lot of us, we, we carried that same shame and stigma that had surrounded suicide for years, right? It was looked at in most religions and ours included as a sin, right? The people who took their own lives were, were going to be in hell. And so absolutely there was that, that contemplation of what do we say? And I just knew it was important that we tell the truth. He had been silenced his whole life and not really ever able to talk about the things that he had struggled with. And so I just knew it was important to, to be his voice and share honestly what had happened. Okay. And you said the S word mm -hmm. and not suicide. Yeah. Help I us think, understand why. I think, you know, and I say suicide. I say all the S words. <laughs> suicide, <laughs> sex, you name it, I say <laughs> Because say I think the, we have to talk about you it. You can't say the S-E-X word. I know, word. right? <laughs> Well, see, and again, there's that, that, that myth, right? That if we talk about it, it gives people the idea. That's why most of us didn't hear about sex. We didn't talk about sex. It wasn't a conversation we had as kids. Because again, our parents may be held back with this, ooh, if we talk, then we're giving them ideas to do it. No, you're, you're giving us information so that we can make informed choices, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, suicide was the same way. There's, there's that myth that if we talk about it, it gives people the idea. So we have all this fear. And it's because we don't understand it. So we need to get, get over that fear, get educated about what suicide is, what causes it, so we can talk openly about it. Right. Well, if I'm being honest, as we were planning this episode, I was trying to think about like what I was going to say and like what I felt comfortable sharing. And I was talking to Ben about it. And I was like, I don't know if I should say this or that. Like even I was buying mm -hmm. into the myth and that's a myth that I've been trying to, to beat, you know? So like mm -hmm. this is very ingrained in our culture that it's a taboo topic 
that shouldn't be talked about. Yeah. You know, as a, as a young person, I mentioned, you know, suicide had impacted my life. You know, when I was eight years old, shortly after being baptized, I started being sexually abused. And so suicide came into my mind very early, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 and again, I didn't, nobody had talked to me about it. So that's again where that myth comes in. Nobody had talked to me about suicide yet. I thought about ending my own life. And, and I didn't know a, what to do with child. that, even as a child. And so when I did finally have, you know, attempts, and, and mine were serious enough that I ended up being hospitalized, and, you know, I, I would come out of that facility and back home and back around my siblings, and it was like, we didn't even talk about what just happened. You know, I also had back surgery as a kid. Well, guess what? When I came home from back surgery, we talked about it, right? My siblings would say, hey, how you feeling? How's your back? Mm-hmm. Yet, I had tried to kill myself, and we did not have that discussion. And again, it's because we didn't know how, right? We didn't know how. When you're thinking about taking your own life, Mm -hmm. was that like a constant thing that was always on your mind or was that something that surged occasionally? Like, like what was that experience like for you? So for me, um, it it became a daily thing for sure. Um, Once I acted upon the thought, then absolutely it was something that was always in my mind. It's like any behavior, right? When When we think about something and then we act on the thought that we have, we start to reinforce that behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And so then it became a a constant. And really what I try to help people understand about suicide and what it means to be suicidal, it's it's really kind of interesting because even though if we define the word suicide as to kill oneself, for me, it really had very little to do with dying. It wasn't that I wanted to be dead. I didn't know how to live with what was happening. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to change it. I didn't feel capable. I didn't know how. So I felt trapped. I felt stuck. And I just wanted to get away. And so honestly, if you think about it, suicide for me was like a fight or flight response. It was like, if I am just away from this situation, then I don't have to feel and do all this stuff. And so it was was interesting. Again, it wasn't that I necessarily didn't want to be on this earth anymore. I just didn't want to live the way I was living. And I didn't know how to fix it. And so suicide was that option for me to, okay, if I'm dead, if I'm gone, right, I I wouldn't have to do this anymore. I wouldn't have to feel this way anymore. Taryn, I resonate a lot with what you're saying because there was a time in my life in my early 20s where coming to terms with my orientation, I just wanted to be dead because I didn't want to have to deal with these feelings. Mm -hmm. And I was ashamed that if anyone found out about them, that they would hate me. And so there were a couple of years where I just wished I could get cancer yeah, because that way I could die a hero and no one would have to know my dirty secret. Yeah. And I, I was never, I never took steps to prepare to take my life. I don't feel like I was ever actively, I, I was never making plans, but there were definitely years where I would have rather been dead and straight than alive and gay. Yeah. I also resonate with that pretty strongly. Um, a few years ago I went to, to see my therapist and I was like, Hey, you know what? Don't worry about next week. I'm, I'm leaving. And he was like, what? And the night before I had, I, and, and it's so funny looking back. Cause like a lot of things in my life were actually really beautiful and going well, but I was in this really negative space and I had, I was planning on just moving to Spain and just cutting off all ties with everyone and like starting a new life. And so I'm telling him, I'm like, I have this ticket, I'm going to buy it. And, uh, he was like, well, let's talk about passive suicidal ideation. And I was like, oh no, 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 it's, this isn't suicide. Like I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. It's, it's, it's not so much this idea of like wanting to end your life. Like you were just saying, like not being able to cope with what's actually mm-hmm. happening in your life or feeling overwhelmed and underprepared. And that was honestly like a big wake up call to me. Like, oh, may- maybe this is, I don't know if worse is the right word, but for lack of a better term, maybe this is worse than I thought. And maybe I really do need to like lean more into these feelings and keep working with a professional because 
it, it was so weird to me that he would label what I was mm-hmm. feeling and wanting as suicidal ideation. Yeah. That, that wanting came to as a shock escape. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Wanting to escape and get away from. Absolutely. You know, and I am so grateful for a therapist. I've seen the same therapist since I was 12 years old, and I call him my shrink. I use that <laughs> term still. Um, but, you know, he was, he was that person that, for me, I just needed to be able to talk about what had happened to me, what was going on in my mind. I needed that. I needed to be able to spill it to somebody, and I didn't know who I could tell that to, right? And, you know, it, it, it's powerful. We, we have this terminology that we use in our work called talk saves lives because we know that's true. You know, that's why people have been laying on therapist couches for forever mm-hmm. because you need to be able to verbalize what's happening sometimes in our mind to, to frame it, to put perspective on it, and then learn how to move through it, lean into it, right? Versus <gasps> get me away from this. Yeah. Let's say there's someone listening right now who's maybe experiencing some suicidal ideation or just wishing they could disappear mm-hmm. and they want to talk about it. What steps could they take? So find someone you trust and be honest and tell them. And I know it is scary as hell. It is. (laughs) This is the most vulnerable thing you can do um, is to tell somebody where you're really at, right? And be honest. But find somebody you trust and tell them. Tell them where you're at and seek help. Um, If you don't have somebody you feel like you could reach out to, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I know that sounds silly. And some people think, are you kidding? I'm going to call some 800 number. Yeah, do. Because you can get it out. Mm -hmm. Get it out to a total stranger who's not going to judge you, who's not going to shame you and shit all over you. They're just going to listen. And then they're going to guide you through what you can do, what resources you can find. Because again, a lot of times when we're in this space, it's because everything is so overwhelming, we don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. So by starting to unload some of that, people can help us figure out where to start. Where can I start? What steps can I start to take to get me on that path where this isn't part of me? Take it serious. Don't blow it off. Sometimes we blow it off to ourselves and we're like, okay, yeah, I'm thinking that, but I I got this right or I'll be okay. No, if your brain is thinking at all about suicide, you need to tell somebody and tell somebody as soon as you can. Yeah. What what I'm hearing you say is it's worth the discomfort and having the tough conversation to get it out. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, tell as many people as you have to tell someone takes you serious because some of us have had the experience where we've told and then again, maybe we were dismissed or somebody, you know, kind of blew us off. That just means it wasn't the right person. It doesn't mean that your your story wasn't heard. It just means you need to tell somebody different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can be discouraging. Maybe we'll tell someone and they don't react the way we need them to. Find somebody else. Be brave enough to find somebody else and have another conversation. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was 24, I was graduating from BYU. And I told a friend that I just wished I was dead because dating would be easier in the spirit world, which is such a weird thing to say. (laughs) And she was like, oh my gosh, Ben, don't say that. And we didn't have a conversation about it. I just, it was shocking to her that I had said that. And then about a month later, I moved to Mexico for a summer internship and I was in a bad car accident. Like I wasn't hurt, but I could have been very hurt. Um, And I remember just being like so grateful that I was alive and like thinking about what I just said the month before now being in this like, like, car accident I thought I am just so glad to be alive and that was a really a wake-up call for me like no I want to be alive like I I treasure my life and I want to yeah. be alive for a long time yeah I think because it's so taboo they're like telling someone comes with this coupling of maybe embarrassment or or shame like mm-hmm. worried that the other person will view you differently or like always be super like hyper aware of you or you know and like mm-hmm. you don't want to change your relationship but a while ago I had a friend um and they had been doing an internship in Europe and they were just thriving and we would talk a lot and, and catch up basically every weekend. Um, a few months later, they were home and I was talking to them and they were like, hey, I need to tell you something. Um, and, and they were saying that while they were in Europe, they 
were thinking about suicide every day. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. I, I was so shocked because first of all, I, I was talking to them all the time and I, I didn't see any signs. Sure. They, they were just, I don't I, I was I was really surprised. Um, and they were really embarrassed to tell me because they thought it would change the relationship or that I would like always be worried and kind of just be on edge when I was around them. But that didn't happen at all. And I think um, while that is like a valid fear, I think it's it's a lot less common than the the brain would let on. Absolutely. You know, there's a, a brilliant man by the name of Thomas Joyner who has this theory of suicidality and he talks a lot about perceived burdensomeness mm-hmm. and just break down those two words, right? Perceived, that's my perception. We all know our perception most of the times is not always 100% accurate, right? But yeah. that's how we that's what we perceive, so that's our reality. When we perceive we're a burden to somebody else, and that's what most of us think, right? We never want to burden somebody else with what's going on with us. We feel like we should be able to take care of things and handle things ourselves, but none of us were intended to do this life by ourselves. We need human interaction, connection, people. And, and so it's, it's so interesting that that's, that's what keeps a lot of us from seeking help or telling somebody. Um, so from that aspect, something that's been a huge just kind of mantra of mine and and soapbox that I've been on for 20 plus years is that, you know, we need to make sure that those of us in our communities are aware. Again, you said you didn't necessarily see signs, you know, but let's get educated about what they could look like so that when we do see somebody struggling, we can say, hey, I see you. How are you doing? Talk to me. Because we put all this pressure on people who are struggling and say, hey, tell somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody. Well, it's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Instead, let's learn how we can have open, honest conversations, real convos, right, about what's really going on. Yeah, well, and at the same time, I feel like there's been times in my past where I knew I needed to empower myself or bring something to light, but I really didn't have the emotional energy Mm -hmm. to do it. So what advice would you give to someone who's in that space? They're like, I know I need to make a change, but I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay to be tired and give yourself, first of all, permission. It's okay to not be okay and to feel that way. Um, Again, we talk all the time about people with mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, those things. You know, and again, we're asking you to do stuff that is counterintuitive to the the chemical things happening inside of your brain, right? To, To get up, to shower, to find the strength. Um, I, I would just encourage you to, again, still find somebody that you can tell, write it out, write it in a journal, write it in a letter if, if needs be, if you're not you know, in a space where you can maybe face-to-face have that conversation. But invite somebody in, um, because sometimes, again, we wait for people to recognize. I waited a long time for people to recognize. You know, as a young child, I was, I was engaging in self-harm, again, hoping somebody would recognize, because I didn't know how to put words to it. I didn't know how to just say it. And, and thankfully, somebody finally did. But, you know, again, had I, had I learned how to say, had I learned how to tell, I could have saved myself so many years of struggling in silence alone had I just learned. And again, that's where we can start to change collectively as a society is teaching people. We teach people how to have conversations and we, we get rid of that, that feeling that we can't burden other people. So how do we bring up the topic of of suicide if we're worried about a friend or a loved one? Yeah. So what I always share is just, again, name the things that you're seeing. What is it that has you concerned? Is it a behavior you saw? Is it something they said? Is it an energy you're sensing? Is it an experience they went through? You know, I had a a dear friend who just came out online, and I know that's going to be intense for him. So I obviously, hey, 
I'm just going to check in with you. I want to see how you're doing with what just happened. You know, how are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Um, but again, name the things that you're saying and say, hey, because I saw this, when you said this, it has me concerned. I wonder if you're thinking of suicide. You can ask it and ask the question directly. Again, no harm, no foul. If they're not, they'll tell you, no, I'm not. I'm not but thank you for asking. And hey, if you ever are, I'm somebody you could tell that to. Yeah. I'm somebody you could tell that to. So just be willing to ask. Taryn, I remember when I was in my social work program at BYU, you came and spoke to my mm-hmm. class, and you taught us how to invite cl- or ask clients that they were experiencing yeah. suicidality. And I use that with every client I meet with. Yeah. And so whenever I'm meeting with with a with a new client, I whatever their whatever their issue is, they're coming in. To, I say, you know, a lot of people in this situation consider taking their own life. Is that something you're considering? Yeah. And I am surprised by the amount of people who say I, I am. And because when you ask it in a non-threatening way, you normalize it. You say a lot of people in this situation consider taking their own life. Is that something you're considering? And people are, their their guards taken down and and people are more willing to share. And that's what we have to remember, right? Because we all learned the other way to say it. You know, the other way was that that fear-based of, oh, you wouldn't do something stupid, right? Now, now I know that this is hard, but you you wouldn't do something like kill, right? 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 Like we we come from fear. Mm -hmm. No, normalize it. Because most of us have had the thought. Most of us have had the thought at some point in time in our lives of, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we know that it's out there. So absolutely, hey, when people go through what you have, they might consider killing themselves. I wonder if that's true for you. You know, let me know. Yeah. So Taryn, let's say there's a listener right now who's, who's feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. They've reached out to someone. They're talking to a therapist. Um, but they're still feeling these feelings of, you know, I just wish I could disappear. Yeah. What, what would you say to them? I would say be patient with yourself and and know that this, again, is a process, right? Whatever it is, and this is the other thing to keep in mind, whatever it is that has you thinking of suicide is not going to resolve itself in a moment, in a day. And and that's frustrating, right? I'm, I want instant change, man. I, I don't like something. I want it to change now. I look at the state of our world today, and I want it to change now. It's not going to. It's going to take time. So no, be patient with yourself. It's a journey. Um, but find little things you can do each day. What little steps can you take? You know, what people can you invite in? Um, you know, years ago, again, as a, as a patient in a psych ward, you know, what they used to have us do to treat our suicidality was sign a no suicide contract. I promise I won't kill myself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how many promises I've made that I've broken? <laughs> that doesn't help me. What helped me is when I finally had somebody say, hey, let's create a plan. What are you going to do when the thought of suicide enters your mind? What are some of your own warning signs? Know what they are. Be aware of those things. When you start sensing your own mental health kind of going down, mm-hmm. when you sense them, again, what can I do? What, what coping skills do I have? Is it going running? Is it, is it talking to somebody? Is it seeing my therapist? Is it writing it down? Is it punching a bag? Whatever it is, yeah. do those things. If those things don't work, who can I call? Right? Who are the safety net? Who are the people that you know have your back? And again, if you feel like there is no one, there always is that lifeline, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, 1-800-273-8255. You could call and just tell somebody. If you don't want to call, text 741-741. You could text somebody and just talk about what's happening. But I would just say be kind to yourself. Know it's a journey. It may take a little while. But yeah. again, be patient with yourself as you go because you are worth it. Your life is worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of all the times I wanted to give up. I would not be experiencing the beautiful things I'm experiencing today had I died all the times that I tried. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, try to, try to stay one more day. 
um, and give it maybe just a day at a time so that we can help you. Well, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And that's actually something that really helped me get through some of the darkest periods of my life. When I thought about, I mean, my future crumbled when I realized I was like, I went on a mission expecting to be straight when I got home and that didn't happen. And I did not know where to go or what to do because I had this entire ideal for my life that just like crumbled in an instant basically. And I felt very overwhelmed and it's so easy to like start dwelling on fabricated scenarios and kind of like you were saying, just like building up this paranoia. And I'd even say, I think the adversary wants us to sit in that space because it just like grinds your mind. So I, like I said, I started working with this therapist and I really tried to put a lot of emphasis on taking things one day at a time. And I used to make lists of things that I could control, um, things that I knew that I liked to do and control. I'd make these like goals and I'd say, today I'm going to do these four things. And as I would do them, whether it was a task or like just really anything, I felt more empowered and I felt like I was kind of like gaining my life back as it was spiraling. And then as I was focusing like, you know, what do I need to do tomorrow? How can I be my best me tomorrow? And like at the same time being forgiving and patient with myself, but what can I do tomorrow and not worry about what my life's going to look like in 10 years? Because honestly, I don't know anyway. And that helped me be more stable and constant Mm -hmm. through that time that was very turbulent. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes says, be where your feet are. And, and I, I mean, I tattooed it on my leg to cover up my self-harm scars, but it's mostly as a reminder, right? That it's, it's important to be present, be in this moment. Because you're right, I can't do anything about yesterday. It's over and done. But how many of us spend time in the regret, right? And the, oh, you know, whoa. And then the, the flip side, right? The, the future, you know, worrying about what's going to happen. And oh my gosh, what if? And da, 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 da. It's not here yet. So be where I have power. And I love that you share that. That's one of the most powerful things I learned in therapy too, was when everything felt out of my control, what did I have power over? Well, it was me. It was me. That's it. <laughs> but what a gift and to know enough. that. What a gift to yeah. know that, that it's enough, that all I have to do is worry about me and what I can control and my reactions to it. But again, sometimes we might need some help to do that. So so seek therapy, seek a provider that can help you do that. Yeah. Taryn, you talked about having a plan. I'd like to talk about that just yeah. a little bit more. So you talked about knowing what the signs are. Mm-hmm. Um, ways you can cope and then people you can reach out to. What, what are some common ways that people can tell that they're maybe getting to a dark place? Yeah. So there's a fabulous app and we all know, right? In today's energy, there's a, there's an app for that. Um, but my three, so MY, the number three is a safety plan app that'll guide you through that process that I spoke of. Um, again, it's, it's looking at you identify your warning signs. We all have them. Like for me, my warning signs are when I start feeling hopeless, when I start feeling overwhelmed, when I maybe start, you know, getting angry at people for no reason. When my brain starts thinking, you know, I can't do this when I don't want to shower for days at a time. Like I can tell when my mental health is starting to go down the toilet. So, and everybody's are going to be different. So, so understand and learn what are yours. And then again, if you have strategies that you can use to help combat those. So if I'm feeling hopeless and overwhelmed, I have to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. And I have three people that I've identified that I know are safe spaces that I can tell them honestly where I'm at and, and they will listen. They're not going to judge. And then I can move through that. Right. And so it's just, um, again, warning signs for people come usually in things they say, behaviors they engage in and energy they're given off. So so be aware of what those can look like for you and for others. And when we see them in ourselves and others, say something. Thank you. So so being aware of, of what are of what the warning signs are. Mm-hmm. 
and then making, what was the next thing? So coping, finding yeah. some coping, coping skills, skills that you can utilize. And then again, who can I reach out to if those coping strategies don't work? Okay. So it's that kind of self-awareness. What can I do to help me? And if what I do to help me doesn't work, who can I reach out to, to help me? Okay. Yeah, and that's something that anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other thing to, to just be mindful of that, you know, people might be thinking is, well, what if somebody does reach out to me and they, they, they do say they're suicidal? What do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of us carry this, this personal responsibility and, and, and weight can feel heavy. It can feel like, oh, now I have to save this person or fix this person. You don't because you can't. <laughs> you know, we, we can be part of a, a a person that supports them as they save themselves and as they learn ways to do that. So abandon your need to fix people. You know, I think as soon as we say that we're, we're broken or we tell somebody that, then they think that they are and they need fixing. We don't, but we maybe need somebody to sit in the dark with us until we can look on the bright side. And that's what we can do. We can just be a, a human connection for people. Yeah. Thank you, Taryn. What, what would you say to someone who has a, a close friend or a loved one who, who did take their life, who, who was maybe feeling guilt that they didn't do more or didn't help them more. You know, that is, that is something that, that is a survivor of loss, um, especially suicide loss is such a common theme. And what I would first invite you to think about is this, if there was anything you could have done, of course you would have done it. But suicide is a health issue. And because it's a health issue, even if we did everything right, people are still going to die because we don't have enough evidence. We don't have enough research. We don't have enough treatment. We don't have enough conversations like this. There's still a lot that we're grappling with. So forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know. Um, and, And then what I choose to do is I look for ways that I can be helpful to those who can still be helped. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, with our dad, there were plenty of warning signs, man. He was giving them off right and left. We just didn't recognize them because we didn't know that that's what they were. Yeah. So I can sit and beat myself up over it or I can say, OK, I didn't know how to help him. But, man, I know things today that I can do differently. So when I see people who are struggling, I make sure that I do reach out or I make sure that I do say. Right. Um, so, so just be kind to yourself. Seek help. Seek help. Grieving is a, is a journey in and of itself, and this is a loss that is very unique. It's different. It's different than other types of loss. So there's some complexity to it. Seek a therapist. Go to a support group. Be around others who get it. We offer a program called Healing Conversations where you can reach out to a peer who's also been through a similar loss and connect with somebody who, who can walk you through what you're going to experience and go through. But, but you don't have to do it alone. The grieving process is tough. Uh, when I when I was in Arizona, one of my dear friends took her own life, and I was I was very close to the situation. Like I went to her house to check on her, and she had already taken her life, and that was a really tough, traumatic. I just I sobbed for a whole day after that, um, and she was estranged from her family, and so to make myself feel better, I, I planned a memorial for her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was, that was a really important healing thing for me. And, and you know, I'm not saying that's what people should do, but, but when, when we're, when we're feeling this grief, sometimes there are things that we can do to, to help ourselves feel better, to help the community feel better mm-hmm. and to help other people who are struggling. Absolutely. You know, and, and honoring those people and doing something that would, would, remind you of them, you know, eating their favorite treat, eating, you know, listening to the, a favorite song, you know, do whatever it is that, that helps you remember them. And I think that's something else that we forget as, as lost survivors. You know, we want you to remember our loved one. It's not hurtful when you bring up their name. We don't like it when they're forgotten. And sometimes people avoid us and they avoid talking about us because they think, oh, it's too hurtful. 
No, it's the same as if our loved one died in a car accident or from cancer. We still want to hear their name. We want to talk about the good memories we have. And, you know, they're not defined by how they left this earth any more than your loved one is defined if they died from cancer. That doesn't equate the, the years that they lived, right? So, so remember them. Talk about them. Let us talk about them because that helps us heal and that helps us move through that grief process too. Mm-hmm. Taryn, one of the things you mentioned is that uh, people who – uh, experience perceived burdensomeness. Uh, they feel like they're a burden. Another thing that was a joiner, mm-hmm. and another point that he makes is people who have a, a sense of thwarted belongingness, that they, that they don't belong. Mm-hmm. And a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints have that feeling of thwarted belongingness, like they don't belong in this community. And that was one of the experiences that, that I had that, that led to my wishing that I could be dead because I'd been told that and taught by, by church leaders that uh, the experience of same-sex attraction wasn't part of the premortal life. It wouldn't be part of the next life. It was just a trial and an affliction and a temptation of this life. And so just wanting to get rid of those feelings so bad just made me wish that, 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 I, that I could disappear. So what could we do to help someone who feels like they don't belong, the sense of thwarted belongingness. Yeah, you know, whenever we talk about suicide and risk factors, and that's where that thwarted belongingness and that perceived burdensomeness come in, right? We also need to talk about protective factors, right? What combats those? Again, same thing with any other health issue. When I learn about a health issue, I learn what puts me at risk so that I can learn what protects me. Mm-hmm. Well, protection against suicide, especially for people who are experiencing things like that, is connection, right? Feeling accepted, feeling a part of, you know, we have worked so hard and I I know I'm preaching to the choir here, you know, over these last several years, especially to change that dialogue that says, again, you don't have to, we don't have to share the same belief system, but my goodness, we can love one another and be, be kind to one another. You know, I detest personally the word tolerance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved for who I am, for what I bring to the table. And, and you know, we often hear in our communities, you know, still, I, I did a presentation a couple of nights ago with, with some of the parents at Encircle House, and, you know, she said, I had somebody say to me that my, my child wants to kill himself because he's gay. No, it's not because of that. It's because of how our society... <laughs> treats and reacts that's what we can improve you know so it's it's finding again those safe spaces for you and we need to create those safe spaces where people can feel loved and accepted for who they are fully truly without having to feel that Mm -hmm. man i'm a burden because i'm not going to get to have these things right so i remember having a really vulnerable conversation with my parents and my mom telling me and i've told a story plenty of times but she said if you need to leave the church and marry a man you and he will always be part of our family yeah. and just like knowing that i was going to belong in the family no matter what i chose and i remember coming out in one of my congregations and someone i didn't even know wrote me an email thanking me for being so awesome he said if you decide to leave the church i still want to get to know you and i want you to be part of part of my community and i've had dozens and dozens and dozens of people say that to me throughout my life you know whatever you choose ben we want you in our lives and so that that worry that i wasn't going to belong uh people took that worry away as they told me explicitly and again and again you belong we want you we claim you yeah Yeah. and isn't that what we all need Mm -hmm. i had the same experience as soon as i was creating this sense of belonging i felt way like I, I no longer felt that my life was spiraling and I didn't have what did you call it perceived burdensomeness perceived yeah. burdensomeness like it, it was gone because it, it never was there yeah. you know the people around me who I thought wouldn't accept me like my friends and my family my perceived burdensomeness was was so much heavier than what actually happened which was something beautiful and and sacred 
And so, uh, yeah, that's, there's so many, I'm just, I love seeing common themes and like Mm -hmm. the way we're talking about bringing up suicide coincides so well with the way I felt before I came out. And like all of this ideas of like holding on to our, our darkest hours and our shame versus bringing that into light and just seeking a human experience with another Mm -hmm. human and being able to connect and resonate and love and, and be present. It works like there's power there. Yeah, absolutely. And and so for those people who, who maybe do come out to their parents and they are rejected or do come out of their congregation and are rejected and do come out to their friends and they don't belong there, what do they do? So that's again where we are blessed to start to see that we're having, you know, community come together. That's where again sometimes the family we are born into is not the family that has our back. I mean, and that's real whether you come out, you know, have sexual orientation whatever. I mean, that that is true for a lot of people. You know, I didn't fit in in my family in a lot of ways. I was deemed the black sheep. You know, so I had to seek my own family. I had to find others who would embrace me and accept me and love me. Um, so I'm grateful for things like the Pride Center and Circle House and places where, again, people can come together and find a sense of community, share common you know, goals and dreams and things with others and, and relate to others who have maybe had that experience. Um, again, my heart goes out to you. It hurts my heart that anybody would, would be rejected by their family like that. Um, but just know that then there's other people who will love you. Mm-hmm. You know, I will love you. I always say that. I will be your mom. If your mom doesn't want you to be your mom, I will be your mom. <laughs> My kids might say you don't want her, but <laughs> you can come. You know, there, there's others who will love you and, and stay so we can, we can bring that and give that to you. Um, what resources are available here in Utah for someone who's who's experiencing suicidal ideation? So what I'm super excited about is we actually just launched a brand new statewide campaign where we finally have every resource housed in one spot. Go to liveonutah.org. This is our new campaign and state website where you will find access to resources across the state to support you in your journey, whatever that might look like. So liveonutah.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your personal history and your story with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time.